Living Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time we've had to worship and sing, to pray, to hear your word. Now in a one-to-one conversation, take these moments, Lord Jesus, and speak to us. Toward that end, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills, Lord, and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, please be seated. Jamie mentioned that I'd be backing up the announcement he made about uh, getting involved in a small group. Let me give you some more information. And we designed this back last fall. Jamie, Pastor Jamie, Pastor Jared and I happened to be down in Florida with a rather meager residence at a place called the Ocean Reef Club. And we spent two or three days there thinking about what was going to happen come the new year. Now, we're well into the new year, but part of that plan was this, to get behind the Graham, Franklin Graham Festival of Hope, which we as a congregation did. Some 300 or so involved went through the Christian life and witness classes, were involved whether in parking or counseling, visiting with people coming in, greeting, welcoming, following up the materials and getting names and addresses so that we can give you a statistic, for instance. And then we set in place the plan following it to study a book together called What on Earth Am I Here For? And we're going to be encouraging you to purchase that book and week by week we're going to be preaching to its main chapter headings. It'll be six weeks. So you've got six chapters in that book. And across those six weeks, we're encouraging, very strongly encouraging, I'm addressing you as if one-to-one, take this white sheet out of your service sheets right now. You've got it there somewhere. I want you to take a look at it. We do have a desk set up in the commons area with Bob Mason, who's pastoring and leading our small group ministry. My goal, I stated to the staff, is this, to have 70% of the congregation involved in small groups across this six-week period of time. If you are not in a small group, then now's your opportunity to get signed up, and according to where you're living, we'll get you into a, a, a group of others If you want to host such a group, you can sign up to host so your home becomes the place where they meet for six weeks. If you want to lead such a group, we'll train you. You may be hosting and leading, if that's your choice. But separate from either hosting or leading, to turn up and be at one of these homes. And we can give you the direction, but you have to get signed up. Now, if you're already in a small group, and some goodly number of us are, then you're home free. That will be your group. But if you're not, 
then we're, we want you to get sign up. So, signed up. So fill this out, will you? Before you get out of here, fill this out. You don't want to be doing it while I'm preaching. Maybe you do want to be doing it as a distraction while I'm preaching, but uh, fill this out. It's got a whole bunch of options there, from whether 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and older, and then days, Sunday, Monday, etc. If you have children, and then any comments or questions, and then take this to the desk and hand it in this morning. At, uh, that'll be out there in the comments. Okay? Now, I'm pulling rank here. This is daddy speaking. You know when you've got something serious to say and you sit the family down and you say, now, hear this. I'm saying, now hear this. So, get on with it and... Uh, will help you. Now, when we come to the word that we'll be addressing, that passage from Isaiah that Jamie read for us, it's in your service sheet. I'm going to ask you to underline some of the words so that you can focus on how amazing it is that eight centuries before Jesus came, he was described. This passage from Isaiah is one of the servant passages of that same prophet. There are a number of them. And you see how it begins? Here is my servant. An older translation says, Behold, sit down and consider. This is my servant. Take a look at him. And there are a number of passages that are called servant passages because it's speaking as to this servant, about this servant, who is the Messiah, that is, Jesus, who eight centuries after this was written, came and lived amongst us. And these servant passages are remarkable in as much as they both describe the servant who he is, what he's like, and what his mission is. So take a look at this. Behold, or here, is my servant, and the promise of Almighty God, I uphold him, whom I uphold. He is my chosen one. And this phrase, in whom I delight. Some of you will remember God Almighty speaking from heaven concerning Jesus at his baptism for one, and not long before he was executed on the cross, saying, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased, in whom my soul delights. That's exactly what's being described here. This servant in whom God delights. I will put my spirit Spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations, not just to Israel. He has a worldwide mission. 
So if you look down to verse 4, he says, I will not falter or be discouraged, or he will not, until he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the islands, that is the Gentile world, the nations, not just Israel itself. The Messiah was for the world. He was going to bring justice, right the wrongs, to all the nations. So if you look just at the close of verse 3, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Right every wrong. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to Nazareth. He stands up in the synagogue of his hometown, and he reads from Isaiah 61, a similar passage, where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it goes on to say, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, that is, as the teacher. And everyone in the synagogue had their eyes fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's reading Isaiah chapter 61, which is absolutely parallel to Isaiah 41, 42, which is what we're looking at. I'm reading a bit further down than you have recorded in your service sheet there. But he said, I will keep you and make you a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And Jesus himself said, as he's standing there live in front of an audience like this, today, this very word is fulfilled in your hearing, saying, I am the fulfillment of this. They were so angry at him, they took him out and wanted to execute him because what he was claiming was to be the Messiah. This one that they were hoping for and longing for, he reads the word and they say, isn't this the son of the carpenter? Isn't this Joseph's son? How does he come by saying all this about himself? And they took him out to throw him off a cliff. Whenever you drive up by Nazareth, you see where it was they wanted to throw him. And he made his way out of there some way miraculously. That never happened. It wasn't his time to die. But ultimately, they got him, and he was crucified. Do you know why he was crucified? From a human point of view, because he made these claims to be this man, this Messiah, this Savior. So that's who he is. And the prophecy describes him as one who will not shout out aloud in the streets, in other words, he wasn't some loud-mouthed, braggadocious rabble-rouser. He didn't have to do that. But he made immense claims concerning himself. And here as it's spoken, he comes, and this is the real message of the morning. This spoken-of Messiah, this anointed one, 
the chosen one, the beloved, this one comes for the bruised and the smoldering, like a smoldering wick. He comes for the brokenhearted and the crushed, those whose hearts are broken, whose lives are filled with pain, who've been dissed, discarded, wounded deeply. It's an amazing description. He doesn't come for the elites, it says. He doesn't come for the powerful, though some powerful come to him. He comes for the weak, the bruised, the broken, those who are about to give up, burned out, done with, no energy left, nothing else to contribute, like a smoldering wick. These two pictures are word pictures that the prophet is described as coming for. A bruised reed he will not break. Now, a reed is a flimsy thing. Jesus, preaching about John the Baptist, said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? In and of itself, it's a flimsy thing. But then, as per the picture on your screen, when it's broken over, bruised, he will not discard. He won't just destroy it, break it, finish the job. That's not what he comes to do. And the smoldering wick, that's a word picture. We just turn on a light with a switch. They had oil lamps, and and that was more or less like a a saucer, a, a dish with a wick in it, and that would be lit, and the oil would make its way up the wick. But once the oil's used up, then all it can do is smolder and then go out. So here is a wick as described, and everybody would have understood and seen clearly that there's nothing left but this smoldering wick left in the dish. It's about to go out, but the Messiah, the servant, doesn't come to just finish it off and just put it out. He comes to bring the oil, restore, and give a bright light to that smoldering wick. And these images describe people who are out of, they're just out of any energy, any will, any enthusiasm, any passion for life. They're just about done. Isn't it amazing that the Messiah is described as one who's coming for such people? That's his mission. Now, I don't know about you, but I can tell you one thing. This I do know, none of you, not one of you, has escaped pain. There's not one of you has not been deeply hurt or wounded. And it may be somebody who's close to you, and it just is all the more painful when it's your own child. Any of you who's a parent would gladly suffer whatever it is your child's going through. Do it for them if you could. None of us escapes pain. I can mark my life by the painful events of my life. There are markers in my life, and they are pain-filled events. Amazingly, that God took, and because of that pain-filled event along the way, 
redirected my life in such a way that I am the man I am today, and I'm even a pastor who knows and loves Jesus and has the wife that I have and the children that I have and the ministry that I have and that I get to be the part, one of the pastors here, that I get to stand and speak here. Those painful markers through my life. I've, you may think that we preachers up here have it made. In some respects, we do. But we didn't do the making. And along the way were a lot of bruises and smoldering circumstances with nothing left by which God got a hold of us and reshaped our lives and redirected us and empowered us. I can remember when a policeman came to my door. I was a little boy just washing my feet, ready to go swimming in a swimming pool, a public swimming pool when a policeman came to my door. And the English Bobby has that tall hat. The formidable presence at our front door. It's late in the afternoon. She knocks at the door and opens the door. And my mother runs in after what he had to say to her, sobbing and weeping. I'm just a seven-year-old lad waiting to go swimming. But that moment is etched in my life. Because what he had arrived at that front door to tell my mother is that my dad was dead. And as we found out later, he committed suicide. That's a marker in my life. I remember a girl I was dating when I was in my late teens, going into my early 20s, in fact, even in seminary. She died of a brain tumor. I poured out my life heart to the Lord to save her, to heal her. I found churches that proclaimed that they had the gift of healing and went there, had them pray for her, that she would heal. She was buried while I was still in seminary, training to be a minister. I can go through my life with the markers. We talk about our having four daughters. We lost a son. Most of you will not know that. It's not something we talk about much. That was the most painful thing in my life. And the amazing Savior comes right to where we are, deep in pain. And it's for such that he came. If you're such a person with such a history, maybe you have deeply hurt somebody with your own sin, Adultery is a killer. Fornication and then dumping the girl or the guy is a killer. To be deserted, you've lost someone you love or someone you love has deeply hurt and wounded you. God does not discard us. He sent a Savior to reach us and reclaim us and renew us and remake us. To put oil back in our lamp to take the bruised reed and instead of snapping it off or just treading it down or discarding it, heals the bruised, restores and makes whole. He gives us each other as part of that process so that we're not out there on our own. And the people who've come around, Kathy and me, from time to time, or in my life who've stood by me, 
in moments of deep anguish, part of God's family who come alongside, can pray for us, stand with us, be part of God's grace to us. Every one of your pastors, every one of the folks on the parish council, just like every one of you, knows what it is to lose, to suffer, to be discarded or broken, but by the same token, to know that there is a Savior who comes and meets us and transforms us. That's his mission. Let me encourage you to get a hold of a book called Unbroken. It's a big seller right now. The man it's about died last month, I believe on July the 3rd. His name is Louis Zamperini. He died an old man, but as a young man, he was an Olympic star, great athlete. He fought in the Second World War, was captured, and absolutely brutally tortured, survived it. That's what the unbroken is about. He survived it. He never gave in to the torture. But when he came back from that war, he was so filled with hate, it near destroyed his marriage. He got into alcohol really heavily. He was angry. The one thing he wanted to do was go back to Japan, find the man who tortured him, and kill him. In, his, in the end, his wife said, look, I'm done with all this. And she was about to walk out on him when Billy Graham turned up in New York City and she went to hear him. And she came back and said, look, I'm going to hang him with the marriage, but I need you to go and hear Billy Graham. And he didn't want to go and he said, I'm not going. But unlike it being a three-day deal on a weekend, Billy was there for a month. Night after night, he preached in Madison Square Garden. His wife prayed and prayed and asked and asked, and in the end, Louis Zamperini went. And that evening, asked Jesus into his life. One evening, one spot, one place, one preacher, that one man, Louis Zamperini, walked forward, yielded his life to Christ, and walked out of there a transformed man. Went home, threw away all the alcohol, put his marriage back together, became this amazing proponent of the gospel, sharing with others what Jesus had done for him. They're making a movie of it. The whole thing is so dramatic, so powerful. The few words by which I've described it don't even begin to do it justice. But get your hands on that book. It'll be available in our bookstore. Go online, however you do your shopping. Unbroken. It's the life of Louis Amparini. Really, the rescuing of him. He was unbroken, but I'll tell you this. He was bruised. Deeply wounded. Distorted. Viciously angry. Contorted inside himself. Tortured by the tortures that he'd endured. The thought of it, the memory of it, the hate that was stirred, all that he'd been through. And in one moment of time, he got to know the Savior and was a transformed man. A guy ran into me yesterday as I was shopping at Do It Best, and he said he just read that book. 
He said, it's amazing. He said that it was Billy Graham. He said, my connection is that, with that is you. You, John Guest, gave your life to Christ listening to Billy Graham. And he said to me, and I gave my life to Christ listening to you. I said, you did? He said, yes. I had no idea. I shook him by the hand. I said, we're family. That Jesus is here for you. When we encourage you to get involved in a small group, mostly the guys are saying, no way, no way, no way. I know you guys. I'm one of you. So I'm speaking just to you guys. Get it done. You wives, ask them one more time. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, lover of the brokenhearted, the mender of the crushed and bruised, the healer, the lover, come to each of us and meet with us this morning. Refresh our knowledge of you. And even as we suffer ourselves, for whatever reason, in whatever way, even as memories have been stirred, scabs knocked off, it's so you, Lord Jesus, can come and be for us the lover of our souls, the healer, so as you find yourself looking at Jesus right now and speaking to him, say to him, dear Jesus, please come into my life and heal those deep, deep places. Wounds that have been covered for so long. Hurts that still determine in a sick way who we are because they've never been surrendered to you. And right now, Lord, we give it all to you. All that we are, all that we have, just as we are, come and fill us with your Spirit. Cleanse us from the sin, the stinking filth of our pasts. Restore us. Help us to yield in this moment, just as we are, to you. And we pray this for your name's sake. Amen.